Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey, One Hit Thunder host Chris Fafali is here. You may have heard me talk about my band Punchline before. Maybe you already know us, or maybe you're hearing about us for the first time right now. It doesn't matter. No matter what your relationship with Punchline is, I will absolutely guarantee that you'll love our new podcast, A Band Called Punchline. Starting with our humble beginnings in a small town in southwestern Pennsylvania in 1997, we're telling the hilarious, strange, and hopefully inspiring story of the 25-plus years of our band in the most honest way possible, podcast style. A Band Called Punchline is an audio documentary available now wherever you get your pods, so subscribe and let me and my friends share a wild, entertaining, unique, and wonderful tale of music and perseverance unlike any other that's still being written today. century brought an explosion of music that combined pop sensibility with the spirit of rock. Bands like Sum 41 and Dashboard Confessional entered the mainstream and stayed there, building back catalogs of memorable songs and influencing young artists. Other groups, like American Hi-Fi, got lost in the shuffle. Today, we're joined by FemRegard co-host Tessa Markle to discuss whether American Hi-Fi should have been more than just the flavor of the week. Royalties forever and it 
So Tessa, you chose flavor of the week from American Hi-Fi. Is that because you're a part of the American Pie generation or just because you love this song? Uh, definitely both. Okay. Uh, that was definitely my generation growing up. But I actually was introduced to this song the first time on one of the now that's what I call music compilations. Wow. Because that <laughs> I loved those. Nice. Yeah. Now, now this is what I call music. This is definitely music. What year is this song? What? This is um, 2001. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Right. I remember seeing this. I, I always refer to it as like the most important night I've ever watched MTV2 <laughs> because <laughs> MTV2 came out. They were like, all right, we're going to have this show where for an hour we're going to debut music videos. And Chris, for the hour that I sat down and watched, these were the music videos that aired in this order. American Hi-Fi Flavor of the Week, Some 41 Fat Lip, Clint Eastwood by The Gorillas, and then Tribute by Tenacious D. And I was like, those are now four of my favorite songs, all four of my favorite albums. Like Amazing. that is ridiculous that I, I witnessed all of them in one night. Wow. So Tessa, do you remember any other songs on this this year's Now That's What I Call Music? I'm gonna put you on the spot. You know <laughs> what? Gonna, I can I can yeah. find it in five seconds. Yeah, we gotta find out. 2001 now. <laughs> I have it still all on my iTunes, so. Never Had a Dream Come True from S Club 7 was on this one. Very nice. Mm, what other ones are? Oh, All For You, Janet Jackson. I was gonna say, I see Janet Jackson. That was the first one that jumped out to me. Yeah. Ride With <laughs> oh, Me yeah. from Nelly. Of course. Oh, what would and you do? And Play Is Gonna Play. What would you do by City High? There's a couple good ones on here. Uh, Danger by Mystical. <laughs> I used to love that song. Fiesta Remix. <laughs> this was a good one, you guys. This is a really good one. Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve featuring Gwen Stefani, which was above this song on the charts uh, the week that it peaked. Someone we're sure to cover on this podcast one day, Evan and Jaren were on this <laughs> for not crazy about this girl, which is insane. Well, dude, oh, oh, Hanging by a Moment by Lifehouse. Man, this was yeah. a jam-packed, now that's what I call music. So yeah. I'm surprised that you picked Flavor of the Week out of here. This one stood out to you because it was the punk one. Right? Yeah, you know, it was like, it was before I was really into pop punk, you know, before like the time of Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco and all of that. And But I was already kind of in love with that music and just didn't really have like, good knowledge of it you know of like the pre like the actual punk kind of bands and everything earlier sure so this was kind of my introduction to that and it was just like it was a song that i could rock out to yeah it's pretty good for this this style is is interesting because at this point 2001 i liked punk rock and played punk rock for so long this was my world and this is one of those bands i've talked to Matt about before that kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, who is this? Yeah. Like SR 71. It's like, okay, all of a sudden this band is real popular, but I've never heard of them before. They never came through Pittsburgh on some tour where I saw them <laughs> opening for some band. They're just instantly boom popular. But in the research for this, I did see, which I never knew before today that what's the lead singer of this band's name? Stacy Jones. Yeah. He paid Jones. his dues in some he bands, really man. He did. In some good <laughs> bands. In some very good bands. He was in both Letters to Cleo and Farouk Assault. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Drummer for both of them. Um, he formed the band in 98, but it was like they didn't get a contract until 2001. So they must have been. I'm sure he had contacts because like. 
I mean, they got their band name from Keith Richards told them, hey, you should change your name to American High Five. Yeah. So they were. Wait, how did. I don't. I didn't get that. I saw that in the notes and I don't understand. <laughs> okay, so they were originally called BMX Girl, which, I mean, okay, whatever. It's not super clever, but it, it works, you know. And then they ran into him at, like, at a club. I don't know which one. But yeah, he told Stacy Jones, you should change your name and this is what you should change it to. Because of course he's Keith Richards, he just comes up with a fantastic band name off the cuff. But So the other thing that I learned was that he told them they should name themselves Hi-Fi. <laughs> And then they tried to do that, but there was a band in Europe called Hi-Fi, so they changed their name to American Hi-Fi, which I think is really funny. It works. <laughs> Back up a second. Why and how do these guys know Keith Richards? I mean, I guess Veruca Salt and Letters to Cleo. Maybe maybe Stones were playing on the same festival as Letters to Cleo. Okay. That's my best guess. I have, I have no clue. I, Chris, I know every once in a while we pull a, a quote that we've discovered through like doing our research. I think uh, we we used one for the vines where like, you know, Pitchfork called them the saviors of rock and roll. American Hi-Fi falls in that same category wow. because one critic praised them and said, the future of rock and roll is surely guaranteed when you have an act like American Hi-Fi. That's big words yeah. for this band. <laughs> and Tessa, we have learned recently to watch what we say on this podcast, because without <laughs> fail, when we make fun of artists, they find out about it and call us out on it and get mad at us. Sorry, BB Max. Sorry, Jan Arden. Sorry, Lucas. <laughs> sorry, all these people. We're just being honest on here. Anything I say about American Hi-Fi, I will say that in the end, I will have some very good things to say. But I want to start with some not so good, not so okay. good things. <laughs> I, this Flavor of the Week song, I think even at the time, I was a little bit too punk for it. It was on the radio. I don't like stuff on the radio. I'm too punk for that. But I still thought it was pretty catchy. Mm -hmm. But then I listened to some of their other songs from that time, and they kind of keep doing that same stunt. And what I mean by stunt is where they go like, dun-dun, sing a line, dun-dun, sing a line, dun-dun, sing a line. I, I heard that in like multiple songs where I'd be like, dun-dun. She's in high school, dun-dun. She's a geek, dun-dun. I yeah. don't know what the words are. It doesn't matter, but they just do that thing over and over. And that real, like, not authentic sounding, like, I'm a punk kind of, <laughs> kind of voice that doesn't sound legit. It sounds like someone doing an impression of, like, an angsty teenager. That's kind of the impression that I got from uh -huh. some of the, their early songs. But... You were probably in the perfect age to not know the difference or, or whatever. You said this was kind of like your exposure to this world. Yeah, I think I really was the perfect age to not really have any clue what they were drawing from, what they were actually really talking about, but fully mm -hmm. just enjoying like the music of it and rocking out. I mean, I remember there were lines that he's too stoned talking about the boyfriend. Uh, yeah. I did like I was 11 stoned was yeah. kind of like a word that I knew, <laughs> but it wasn't something I thought of. So I thought they were saying right. too stone, like the number two and then stone like a rock and thinking that that was like a phrase that I just wasn't aware of. <laughs> you just started walking around being like, yo, you're too stone, man. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I do want to talk about the music video because the music video is really fun to me. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much a shot for shot parody of an interview from heavy metal parking lot, which was a pretty popular short, that you could find out there. It was like an early documentary where I want to say it's a Judas Priest concert yeah. that they went to, but they literally just showed up at a 
parking lot at a heavy metal concert and just walked around with a camera and interviewed everybody who was tailgating at the show and compiled it into a documentary back in like the late 70s, early 80s. Never had like a wide release, but it was like one of those things, kind of like how Spinal Tap is, where like Spinal Tap really was a failure at the box office, but like musicians embraced it and it got kind of traded around there. Heavy Metal Parking Lot was a similar thing. So for them to kind of literally pull verbatim some of the quotes from that documentary of one of the interviews and just make that their music video, but just change whatever band the dude was bitching about to American Hi-Fi instead was kind of a... I, I, I enjoyed it as a kid. And then when I finally saw Heavy Metal Parking Lot, I enjoyed it even more as an adult of like, oh, they perfectly nailed the look of this documentary actually yeah i like that was also set in 1986 which you know was no timeline of their being a band together at all but also you had the nintendo shout out yeah couldn't help but fall for the nintendo shout out yeah this song it's it's pretty good i i liked it at the time didn't like it enough to like get the album or dig any deeper but i think for a song on the radio i thought it was pretty cool Still thought I was a little too punk and a little too cool for it, which leads to we'll talk about the song some more. But I got to talk to you guys about something about my experience with American Hi-Fi was then four years later after this song was popular. Now, I went to some concert archives. I toured with American Hi-Fi in the summer of 2005. (laughs) And by toured with them, I mean, so the first date I see is June 26th of 2005. It was Real Big Fish. American Hi-Fi, Punchline, and Zoloft the Rock and Roll Destroyer at the Hampton (laughs) Beach Casino Ballroom in Hampton, New Hampshire. That was what I'm assuming is the first or one of the first dates of the tour. It was like all summer. It was a whole summer long tour. I remember in like the first day or two, we always tried to meet the other bands and stuff. And I don't remember meeting American Hi-Fi. In fact, I don't even remember seeing them play. I think we were really like busy trying to like sell merch and talk to people and everything trying to like slang CDs and stuff. But I remember my bandmates saying like, oh yeah, we met American Hi-Fi. They were nice. And then that was the last I heard of it because (laughs) they dropped off the tour like within two days. Catch-22 took their place for the rest of the tour. And rumor on the street was, now once again, me, this is, this doesn't look good on my part, but I don't remember watching them play. But I guess the Real Big Fish fans were like a bunch of 2001 Chris Fafaliuses and did not take kindly to American Hi-Fi. I don't know why, like, you know, Punchline and, and Zoloft to, to that extent, too, were kind of more in the vein of American Hi-Fi than we are Real Big Fish. But the crowds were cool to us. And I think that maybe it was just that the crowd looked at them like... <laughs> this seems to be the tail end of that of like, but they're sellouts. This is the sellout band with their radio sellout hit. I think that may have been what happened. But you're saying you're saying this is 2005? Yeah, four years after the hit. If you go through their post history, I a I feel bad for American Hi-Fi, <laughs> uh, but I will also applaud American Hi-Fi in the sense that they did do a thing that we try to applaud on One Hit Thunder, where. They just kept on trucking and kept doing their thing. They went through like four different major labels, did self-releases, like whatever it took to to stay in the game, they did. But you're looking at 2005. So they put out their second album, The Art of Losing, which I actually really like this album. I I bought this album too because one of the songs was in like a a shit ton of movies. I know it was in American Wedding. It was in a bunch of other movies, the song Art of Losing. I apparently was the only one that bought that CD because they, they got dropped off of Island 
just a year after the hit because this album didn't do well. So they go to Butch Walker. They record their own album, Hearts on Parade, which would have been 2004. And they had to self-release it in Japan. And then it was doing well enough in Japan that Maverick came in and finally put out the album in 2005. So that would have been the album that they were there to promote when you were on this tour. And that same year, they they got dropped from Maverick for not being able to have a big hit off of that. So that could have been it too. They could have just found out that they got dropped from the label maybe, and we're going to have money to be on tour. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe they, yeah, they were on a bus and everything. And, but the word on the street was the real big fish fans did not like them. <laughs> and, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, you know, like I said, Un- unfair I from real big fish fans is all I'm going to say, but I yeah, guess yeah. fans can kind of suck. <laughs> to, to take it back to this song. Now I do remember this song being a hit, like, I remember it being on MTV. I remember it being popular. But it really, it didn't even break the top 40. 40. I know. That shocked me. Yeah, I thought that yeah. this song would have been so much bigger when I looked at the chart history. I think it peaked at uh, 41. So yep. almost 41. there. So close. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Izzo. H-O-V-A. Kept it out of, out of the top 40. Well, if you're going to be kept out of the top 40 by a song, H to the Izzo is a good song to keep you out of there because that song's amazing. I mean, I really do love that they kept trucking. I thought one of the other things I thought was cool was that after they get dropped by Maverick, they hear that Superman Returns is looking for songs for their soundtrack, like a theme song. So they submit it one of the B-sides from the Hearts on Parade. And even though they had no label backing at that point, the song was apparently good enough that the producers of Superman Returns said, yeah, we're going to use this. We're going to use this song, The Rescue. It was not without trying that this band did everything yeah. in their power to not be a one-hit wonder. And I kind of really am inspired by that aspect of it all. And they're still together. I mean, yeah. Stacy's busy doing his own thing, but yeah, like they're <laughs> still doing it. Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50 
the words one hit and the number 50, that is, at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out weknowpodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, weknowpodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. It really makes sense that they eventually worked with Butch Walker because this is the most Butch Walker sounding band I've ever (laughs) heard in my life. (laughs) And at some point now, those the early stuff, I like Flavor of the Week, but the early stuff, once again, sounds put on to me. It sounds... Uh, but I got to say, Matt, you told me you got to check out the cover EP they put out. I think that the track list is awesome on this cover album. It is so good. <laughs> they did Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. They did, um, oh, Madness, Our House. They yeah. did the, a song we covered on One Hit Thunder, I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. They did an Elvis Costello song. They did uh, a Squeeze song. They did Another a Nail song. in My Heart by Squeeze. They, and... On top of that, then the album that they released in 2014, which the name of it escapes me at the moment, doesn't matter. It's really good. Like they progressively got to be a better and better band. I think they went from like sounding like this put on kind of cheesy thing in the early 2000s had this hit. And I just think they got better and better and better. Like I put them in the world of like a a super drag or not a surf or, you know, countless other bands that merge pop with like indie sensibility or something. They stopped, they stopped being like as cheesy pop punk as they were and more like cool indie rock band as you and that was blood and lemonade blood and lemonade lemonade, yeah yeah it's funny that you mentioned super drag because i did pull a quote from an interview where they asked stacy jones what the next album was going to sound like uh and i hate how convoluted this description is but he said we're going for if elliot smith was partying with the foo fighters at a kegger that featured both my bloody valentine and super drag (laughs) Okay, you're making me not like them now. (laughs) I mean, it's very specific, at least. They knew what they wanted. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't think they... Foo Fighters, I could see a little bit. The Elliot Smith and the My Bloody Valentine, I don't see at all. (laughs) Super Drag, yeah, I just said Super Drag. Yeah, I was going to say, you Uh, called them out, so they they did that well, at least. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I I think the band is good. Obviously, they were on the soundtracks of... (laughs) What Van Wilder, American Wedding, American Pie Two, all the, like the things that you would expect a band that sounded like this in the early two thousands yeah, to be the perfect on. score. Yeah. If you remember the perfect score, no, <laughs> they're basically they are the soundtrack to movies about people trying to lose their virginity. Like perfect score, American Pie, Rugrats Go Wild, <laughs> uh, which I assume is the Go Wild part of that title. <laughs> they made a movie about the Rugrats trying to lose their virginity. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> no, Rugrats Go Wild was the uh, the long-awaited mashup of the Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries oh, franchises wow. coming together. Yeah. I guess we could take this back to 2001. What scenario are you in that you're listening to Flavor of the Week by American Hi-Fi? What's going on in your life in 2001? We'll have different perspectives. We'll let Tessa go first. She was a little younger. We, we know. Well, I'm just going to say the fact that I was buying now, that's what I call music CDs. And all of them. So that can give you an insight into uh, my music taste. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was 11. I was 
I thought that I was way cooler than I was and I was just starting to feel like I was getting into that whole like darker side like punk rock whatever which I had no idea really what that meant at all I mean I hot topic was as close as I got so you know something like this to me I was like oh this song fucking slaps like I was rocking out to it but I probably honestly wouldn't have heard it except in movies if it weren't for the now CDs because I really wasn't even watching MTV regularly or anything Matt, so I was Matt, just too young to like really get it or really be as cool as I thought I was wow this was the time of my uh my pop punk band we were listening to this at band practice 100 this was at band practice this was hanging out after band practice of some one of our houses we were American Hi-Fi was on the stereo for sure. I've been really diving into 2001 over the past couple of weeks because we've been working on episode two of that Punchline documentary podcast, and it is 2001. That is the time period of this. So I really have been diving back via my own brain and friends' brains and recollections and memories. So at this time, I know that the album that we were listening to on repeat in our van on our first tour was saves a day stay what you are was our shit mm. at that time and nice i think any experience i would have with flavor of the week would be like hearing it in the mall food court at some <laughs> random ass mall <laughs> or uh rest stop along the way hey matt i don't know if you, if you did you guys watch the music video for their song another perfect day i think that's from this, I this didn't. time I too did not. it features a young Patton oswalt dressed like a corn dog <laughs> Okay, well, now no, I, need I definitely you. have to watch it. <laughs> it was, it was. I just clicked into their page. The song was used for NBC's coverage of the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City as wow. well. Wow! But you know, I I want to think about this too from a record label standpoint, like from Island standpoint. What a perfect first debut single to put out for a band. Yeah. <laughs> like this song really. It's like, it's earwormy, it's catchy, you kind of know the chorus pretty quickly upon hearing it. Like, it is, if you were going to have your debut single come out, you should wish it was a song like Flavor of the Week where people are going to be like, oh yeah, the Nintendo song, got it. (laughs) I think that it sounds like a couple different record labels dropped the ball on this band, or it could be the other thing which is there were a lot of people out there who might be open to, you know, music that sounds like this in this general vein, but I don't know if this band now granted this Stacy Jones dude paid his dues many times over, but the band American hi-fi sometimes there's a price to be paid for not necessarily paying your dues as a band. Like how did I not know, of this band. I would have been the target demographic in 2001. Someone that liked this general style of music, played this general style of music, went to shows like crazy. I didn't see this band coming through on. But did you ever see BMX girl? Oh, <laughs> is the I question. did not. I did not. Because <laughs> that's, that's who you would have seen on the flyers prior to getting signed, I'm willing to bet. I mean, I bet the, they got signed as BMX Girl and had to change their name for the record label. <laughs> I mean, Blink-182 was coming through town. Some 41 <laughs> was coming through town. The other bands that were in the world of punk or pop punk or whatever you want to call it, coming through were coming through and touring and like getting the fans before they had 
the big hits. I don't know. I I would see. I would be interested to hear what their perspective on it is mm-hmm. because it sounds to me like. I mean, unless I just missed them every time they came through Pittsburgh, it's a possibility. But I sure don't remember them before this hit. The tour that they went on to promote the album, like I'm assuming they were not the headliner on this tour, uh, definitely makes more sense to me than them playing with Real Big Fish, which was them on the road with Our Lady Peace and Eve Six, which feels like perfectly in their musical wheelhouse that they would be playing shows with those bands. Their most recent big tour was they got involved with Summerland Tours, perfect tour for kids with 90s nostalgia uh, in 2015. (laughs) That particular tour, it was Everclear, Fuel, The Toadies, and American Hi-Fi. Sure. Absolute perfect Matt Kelly tour right there. (laughs) Supposedly the ska crowds were sometimes a little feisty for (laughs) non-ska bands. That's what we had always heard. I didn't really experience that too much because we toured for some reason. Punchline toured with so many ska bands. I don't know why that was we weren't a ska band but we just ended up on these tours usually the crowds are pretty nice i do have one memory of a crowd not being so nice was at this place called the downtown in long island with a ska band can't remember which one doesn't matter but i remember those being those people with like the fedoras and the suits oh (laughs) no like the very ska people who were chanting something at us Along the lines of like, you know, fuck you emo or something like that, calling us emo, which I think it's kind of a stretch to call punchline emo, but maybe it was at the time when people were calling everything emo. People were calling Blink-182 emo Yeah. <laughs> by, by that point. That was just – and I remember – and I don't think I would do this now, but I remember like addressing them and being very vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> like like shockingly vulgar and like to make my bandmates laugh that's what i remember i would not do that now but that's a, a memory i have of that so like, so i just because this unlocked a memory of mine um after after my band off the wall broke up uh the guitarist formed a band called lesser known heroes that was very much in the same genre as punchline like that kind of like indie pop punk um, and it was during when everybody was forming ska bands locally for some reason. So they were also the odd man out. And I remember seeing them play a show one time where it was all ska bands and then them as the headliner for whatever reason, because I think no one else wanted to play last. So they were like, sure. They're playing and just like the crowd is slowly dispersing <laughs> throughout their set. And there's like only two people left and they're like, all right, this is our last one. And then the two people started to walk away and the lead singer just like had had enough. And he just goes, come on, man. It's like a two minute song. And they, like, and they, Probably like, not a good st- sign. And they stopped and turned around. They're like, all right, we'll watch the last song. Wow. Which I mean is a really emo response. So in that yeah. case, that would have been appropriate. <laughs> Tessa, what do you remember what your last, now that's what I call music was? What, when when it happened? Well, I started at number four, so I came in a little bit late. And I believe the last one was 21 or two. It was just wow. over 20. Yeah. I still have them all at my parents' house. Don't you worry. <laughs> but... That's awesome. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I had a few of the totally hits too, but those weren't quite as good. Those were more of like no. the sleeper tracks that there were sleepers for a reason. I actually recently found a totally hits compilation and... Uh... 
I want to say it was like from 2005. And yeah, it's ironic that an album called Totally Hits was filled with almost exclusively songs I don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was really their bread and butter with those albums. When it comes to American Hi-Fi, what else was on the charts at this time? I want to... All right. so, So here's what was in the top 10 at the time. The number one song in America was Bootylicious by nice. Destiny's Child. <laughs> nice. Love All it. Right. V- valid. Some of the bigger songs in the top 10 that I thought of when I looked through it, uh, Hit em Up Style was at Ooh, number three. Yep. All or Nothing by O-Town was at number four. Uh, the previously mentioned Let Me Blow Your Mind was at number six. Train with Jops, Drops of Jupiter was at seven. We already mentioned Lifehouse, Hanging in a Moment mm-hmm. was in there. And then rounding out the top 10 was Alicia Keys with Fallen. So it was a pretty varied landscape in that top 10 actually yeah but nothing oh. like this really i mean it kind of makes sense that it didn't get any higher at that time because none of those are even like really rock <laughs> I mean, you wait know? you're saying you're saying that you don't jump into the pit when someone plays hanging by a moment or drops a jupiter that doesn't well, get you going matt i can't believe you haven't brought this up yet but is american hi-fi a victim of the post 9-11 musical landscape? Um, that maybe. What do you mean maybe? I guess it could be. I mean, this was before. This came out yeah, nine months before it. But yes. Right. I, yeah, I guess, yeah, we got real depressed the next year. And maybe we didn't want to hear about the art of losing um, in 2003 <laughs> just yet. Well, yeah, people did not want to watch footage of 9-11 to, to the sound of, your boyfriend, <laughs> you don't know anything. <laughs> I think that they were kind of a little bit screwed by that. Uh, that probably, I mean, happy world. music definitely took a hit. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. even when you think about like, uh, we mentioned Blink a couple times, but Blink is a really interesting example of surviving that post 9-11 world. Even within the same album, you have that take your pants off and jacket, which like, when that album comes out, it starts with like rock show and first date as its singles, right? But then like September 11th happens, then you get like Stay Together for the Kids, which is like one of their really heavy, serious yeah. songs. And then you follow that up with like Feeling This and I Miss You, like that kind of, they almost shifted their entire sound for the post 9-11 world. They knew what the people wanted. Yeah, and they want to feel really upset for a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> upset yeah. and angry yeah. for a while. Okay, how how we feel about American Hi-Fi in general then? Are, are they did they bring the one-hit thunder or were they a one-hit blunder? What what do you think, Tessa? I mean, I think they're thunder because still yeah. every time to this day, which I have an old like original iPod still that is plugged into my wow. car. That's how I listen to music when I'm Same. driving. Wow. Same. Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> okay. um, and I usually have it on just shuffle because I never know really what I want to listen to. But when this song comes on every time I crank the volume, I sing along. I'm so excited still every time. So it definitely brings the thunder for me. I'm impressed that you both have functioning iPods. You mean with like oh, the music yeah. loaded onto oh, it? Oh yeah. Yeah. You you guys do realize you have access to every song ever written at all times on your phones now, right? <laughs> uh no, I don't because Not if you don't have enough space. Not no. if you don't and and also, Chris, if I want to listen to something off of how to get kicked out of the mall, I got to go to please the iPod because that is not <laughs> on Spotify. Don't. Please, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's not everything. It's, okay. All right. There's a right, few, fine. there's a few things that I can only hear on my iPod. I agree with Tessa. I, yeah. as, as someone I've made this reference before on past episodes, but you know, if I'm asked to bring 
my speakers and a laptop to like play music at a party. This is a guaranteed for for especially my age range. You put this on, people are singing along no matter how sober or drunk they are. They are excited <laughs> to sing along with the chorus to this song. Yeah. And I think really the blunder is the rest of the world for not getting in on some of the newer stuff that American Hi-Fi is putting out because it's really really good. Yeah. And I what I would say is that some of this early stuff I once again, I think this song's pretty good. When I listen to some of their other stuff from this era, it's all this just syrupy, over-the-top, major-sounding stuff that I never liked. But where I think this band is awesome is I think they're better now than they ever were. Like, this band progressively got better and better and better. They stayed (laughs) together. They kept releasing music. They kept getting better. And now I think they're at their musical and songwriting peak, despite the fact that maybe their popularity peak was 20 years ago or whenever this this song hit. So I I think they're the perfect example of what a band should be, just continuing to evolve and get better. And uh, I think they're a major thunder. Chris would be the guy at the American Hi-Fi show where the rest of the crowd is waiting for flavor of the week. And he's like, play Wake Up. (laughs) Play the new stuff. (laughs) Play play Carry the Sorrow, please. (laughs) Play your your cover of Joe Jackson stepping out. (laughs) Yeah, I think this band's pretty thunderous. Yeah, I know I've I've talked a little shit, made fun of the, the vocals and lyrics a little bit of the early stuff. But for the most part, especially now, I think this band's awesome. Yeah, Stacy, come on our show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tessa, yes. where can people, if people have been listening to this and just saying, man, this girl seems charming and like she knows a lot about the filmmaking industry, where can they go to learn more about what you do? Well, as a matter of fact, they can listen to my podcast, which is FemRegard Podcast. And it's a show all about indie filmmaking, where me and my co-host Carolina talk about our experience, what we've learned to do and not do, and bring on industry professional guests to give more insight. And we're all over all the major platforms, including YouTube and our website, FemRegard.com and Geekscape. Hell yeah. If you think that I'm nervous, you're not looking me in the eye. You're blind and I don't have the time to sit here and wonder just what's under your skin. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Heart Transplant off the Punchline album, Action. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and I at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. What's up, everyone? It's Joe, and I'm the host of That's Awesome with Joe, a podcast on the newly formed Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. I talk with tons of your favorite artists, managers, touring personnel, and more. 
Most of the time we talk about music, but lots of the time we end up talking about something completely unrelated. We laugh a lot. We do a lot of really stupid things, but also some things that are really informative and interesting. Basically, it's a podcast that I think you should listen to. Obviously, I'm biased because it's my podcast, but I think I might be into it if I wasn't the host. Check it out at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.